Hi, everyone. Welcome to this bonus episode of 50 Now What? In this episode, I'll be sharing an episode from the brand new show, Peaches Podcast, with host Misha McCleary. I love this episode about millennial motherhood. If you're a mother or know a young woman who is about to be a mother, this episode is not to be missed. This show is great, so make sure to subscribe to it at the link in the show notes. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Peaches Podcast. I'm your host, Misha McClary, and today we have a special episode focused on millennial motherhood. I'm joined by some amazing guests who are going to share their insights and expertise on their journey through motherhood. First, we have Kismic Odoms, who's a quality professional in Atlanta and is eight months pregnant. And along with that, she is a travel agent. Next, we have Alexandria. She is a physician assistant. She works in healthcare, and she is a mother of one son. And next, we have... Katie, who is a director and also has her own lawn business, who is a twin and actually a mother of twins. So welcome you guys to the show. Before we dive into the conversation, I'd love to give you a chance to introduce yourselves further, starting with Kismic. Hi, nice to be back, Misha. Thanks for having me on again. I'm Kismic Odoms. I am 31 weeks pregnant. I'm super excited about today's conversation. I live in Noonan, Georgia, suburb of Atlanta. Yeah. My name is Alexandria Brown. I am a physician assistant, as Misha said, work in psychiatry. My son, Owen, will be six months tomorrow. So excited about that. And I live in Grayson, Georgia, um, also a suburb right outside of Atlanta. My name is Katie Thompson. I am a director of international operations support for a very large franchisor based here in the metro Atlanta area. And I also own a small business in lawn care with my twin brother. And I have a set of fraternal twin boys. They are 17 months old and life is busy and fun. So excited to be here and share with you some insights about my motherhood journey. Okay, great. I'm grateful to have you all. Kismic, you're about eight months pregnant. How has it been through the different trimesters? And you guys can chime in as well when you guys were pregnant in the past. So I've been telling folks that I have had a pretty uneventful pregnancy, um, which is a blessing because I know that's not always the case for folks. Again, I'm about eight months pregnant and I literally just started having those uncomfortable symptoms like heartburn, having a hard time sleeping, pains in my body, things like that. But for the most part, physically, it's been great, uneventful. Mentally and emotionally, that's a whole other conversation. So I don't know if we want to go there yet. We can wait. <laughs> We're going to go there. We're going to go there. But we can wait a little we bit. We can wait. We can wait. But um, super blessed, um, really uneventful and super excited to meet my baby. So, oh, yeah. And what about for you, Alexandria? Like, how was your pregnancy through all the trimesters? So my pregnancy was rough. <laughs> um, so we had been trying to get pregnant for several months. Found out pretty immediately, like at four weeks that I was pregnant. Five weeks it started. <laughs> I was so sick all the time. Ended up going to the doctor at 11 weeks for just a routine prenatal care. I had lost 20 pounds and they diagnosed me with hyperemesis gravidarum. So in the course of six weeks, I lost 20 pounds. But I was going to the hospital for like a night for some fluids. Ended up being there for a week. So I actually spent my first 
Mother's Day in the hospital, <laughs> getting fluids and getting medications and stuff. Once we got that figured out, I ended up being on Finnergan like every four hours. Yeah, it became a lot better, but had to take it. And after that kind of weight gain started picking back up and things ended up being okay. My second trimester. Then at the end, I started to not feel good again. Like I would be out working and I was like, oh, I'm lightheaded. I'm dizzy. Like something's off. Being in healthcare, like my first thought was like my blood pressure. So I started checking it, reaching out to my doctor and they tested me for preeclampsia. And I've turned out I had preeclampsia. So at 35 weeks, I got put on bed rest and then got induced which ended in an emergency C-section, but... <laughs> I know the feeling, girl. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I am grateful for the experience because I have Owen, um, but it was very hard. And you said you had a background in healthcare, so were the doctors pretty adherent to everything? Because I know with some, we're hearing that with Black mothers, they're not really listening to, like we've seen with Serena Williams. Um, were they pretty adherent to everything? Yeah, so my doctors, like... I was very grateful for the practice I was at. I had like one main OB, but sometimes I would see some of the others, just like depending on who was in the office. But everybody was super responsive. They took everything that I was saying seriously. I had extra ultrasounds. I had NSTs, the non-stress tests, like multiple of those, blood work, urine, all of that. I feel like they really listened to me. So I'm very grateful for that because it's not always the case. And Katie, how did it go for you being a twin and having twins? Were you surprised? Were you excited? I mean, how was that feeling? <laughs> yeah, you would think I wouldn't have been surprised. So funny thing is my dad was also a fraternal twin. He has a twin sister. My grandfather had a twin sister as well, wow. his father. So you would think that I wouldn't <laughs> have been surprised, but I definitely was. So when I was pregnant, it was still in COVID. So my husband actually wasn't in the ultrasound with me. He was waiting out in the waiting room. And this lady, the ultrasound tech, she like tilted her head. And so I'm thinking something's wrong. And I was like, what's mm -hmm. going on? What do you see? And she's like, well, let me go get the doctor. And I was like, nah, like, <laughs> I need you to tell me what it is you see. And she said, well, you're a twin, right? And I said, yeah, I am. Why? And she said, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I see two heartbeats. And I said, OK, well, can you check again? Are you sure that you see two heartbeats? But yeah, it was definitely twins. So I was not expecting it. We we were very excited when we found out. And I think looking back on it, it was kind of a blessing because I was considered high risk because I had multiples. So I not only saw my regular OB practice frequently, but I had to go in for regular ultrasounds at my high risk doctor every month as well. And then the last six weeks of my pregnancy, I was going twice a week to the high risk oh, wow. doctor. So it, it worked out for multiple reasons because one of my kids, for example, we found out while he was still in utero that he had a kidney issue. And we probably wouldn't have known that until he got to be about age four or five otherwise, if I hadn't have found it on that ultrasound. So we were able to really hit that head on after they were born. And we've already had four surgeries with him at this point, and they seem to feel like they've corrected that issue. So many things looking back, it was definitely a blessing. But I tell people all the time, because there's this notion that being pregnant is just this amazing thing. And it is because you get your kids, but I hated being pregnant. It was not fun for me. I was sick for 32 weeks. I had to take repositories because I couldn't keep food and water down. It was not fun 
for me, it just the nature of my lifestyle. I'm very much a go, go type of person. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't really do that. So yeah, I, I definitely did not enjoy it. I worked out my whole pregnancy. That was one thing that made me feel like myself. So I still went to the gym at least four or five days a week. I mean, I was literally in the gym the morning that I was scheduled to get induced. And oh, wow. Dedicated. <laughs> they were like, can you come now? And I was like, I need an extra hour because I got to go shower. But yeah, that was the one thing that kept me going through my pregnancy. So but that's honest because we don't really like you said, we focus on the positives, but I'm not I haven't even heard of some of these things. When people have talked about their pregnancy, like I've never heard of someone losing weight while they're pregnant, like Alexandria said. So this is given insight to things like that. And now we have no excuse not to go to the gym. If you can do it, we all can go to the gym. So in your pregnancy journeys, like how did you prepare? Did you guys go to the classes? Are there certain products that helped? Did you see a mental health therapist? What kind of helped you during these? It sounded pretty rough, these rough times with your pregnancies. Preparing for it, like I said, we had known that we wanted to get pregnant. A lot of things happened at once for me. I finished PA school. I got married. I started a new job. I got pregnant. <laughs> it was like in succession. So I definitely have a therapist. She is amazing. <laughs> and I haven't talked to her for the past month, but I typically talk to her like once or twice a month. Um, and that is super helpful. Even being someone who works in psychiatry, I still have my own mental health struggles. And so like having that person there as an objective source is really helpful. I didn't do a whole lot in the beginning. Like I said, I pretty much just laid on the couch. Thankfully, the job I was at at the time let me work from home. So like I would get in the chair and see a patient and then lay back down on the couch. I just was not really functioning very well. I mean, mental health is kind of a struggle that I've always had with anxiety. But I think in the beginning, I was so sick that I couldn't even be anxious. <laughs> I was just grateful to be awake and alive every day, honestly. That's real. That's real. And what about you, Katie? So I didn't see a therapist or anything like that, but I did have some people in my life who had been through the journey already. So I would ask them questions for um, Instagram pages and books and things like that that I could follow, especially because of, frankly, all of my friends, I'm the only one who has multiples. And so that was something different where they were like, well, we can't really give you too much advice, which on another note is definitely something that I think is unique about having twins or even some people who have triplets. People are a lot less likely to hover over you and give you unwanted advice and things like that because they can't because they don't know your experience. So that honestly has been a plus for me in having twins because I do not like unsolicited advice in general. And so it's been great for me because people are less judgy about what you do with your kids, how you choose to raise them, etc. Because you don't have twins, so you can't tell me what I should do and what's easiest for me to make it work. But yeah, I mostly talked to those friends. I started following a couple of social media pages that were specific to people who had twins to help you through your pregnancy journey. Found a lot of things I could order through that page, um, especially with the nausea, a lot of different gums and candies and juices and things that I could try to help with the nausea. Even like pregnancy pillows and things like that. I got a lot of resources there for ones that were good to sleep with and things. But yeah, that, that was really it. And obviously my mom was a really great resource. She had twins before. Granted, her pregnancy was much smoother than mine was. She was able to give me a lot of coaching and guidance throughout the pregnancy as well. 
So you're saying tapping into the communities that you can tap into. Do you remember the names of any of the books or Instagram pages? And you can look it up later on if you want. But do you remember any of those pages? One of the Instagram pages is actually called Twins and Multiples. The other ones, I would probably have to look up the specific names because the handles, you know, have unique characters and stuff. But I could definitely share it if you have a resource page or something you put content on afterwards for other folks. But those were very helpful, even like resources to help with tandem feeding, nursing twins at one time, trying. Those came in very handy for me because I very much wanted to nurse and breastfeed my kids. Unfortunately, that wasn't my experience, which we'll probably get to that later. And I can talk about that journey and how it affected my mental health as well. But I really wanted to do that. So I've spent a lot of time during pregnancy trying to prepare to do that, purchasing specific pillows to be able to do it, even little devices that could hold two bottles at one time. So I wouldn't have to hold both of them, like really interesting things. But Yeah, I found all of that on those social media channels. So did you guys prepare a baby bag? Do people really do that before Labor Day and all that? I did, but I know some people don't. They just, I know one of my coworkers, her water broke and she started packing her bag right then. Mine was ready like two weeks in advance. I haven't gotten that far. (laughs) You still got some time. I still have time. I still have time for sure. Just a little bit though. Just a little bit. You got to get on it. I know it. Yeah, I had a bag. So similar to Katie, I used a lot of social media pages, too. So I delivered at Northside Hospital. And so they have parenting classes. And so we took two of those and they gave us some information, too. But once I found out I was going to be induced, so I was supposed to go to the hospital on Tuesday, but Northside is the baby factory. (laughs) And so they were full like every day, like they would call me and they're like, we still don't have a bed. We still don't have a bed. Like that gave me so much anxiety because I was so ready. So I didn't even get to the hospital till Saturday, but I did have a bag because I knew once I kind of left that appointment where they told me I was getting induced, they were like, be ready, stay by your phone, have everything. Because when they called me that Saturday, they were like, can you be here in the next three hours? And so that was like, all right, get my parents and my husband's parents to watch the dogs, get the house closed up and be ready to be in the hospital. Well, I've never heard of a hospital being too booked. Like you have to make an appointment just to have your baby. Those are things that I'm learning. Katie, you had, did you say you had a C-section? So I ended up in an emergency C-section. I was scheduled to be induced. Another interesting story. Looking back, the practice I worked with, I really enjoyed the doctor that ultimately delivered my kids. But all of the other doctors in the practice, they were very hesitant to work with a mother who wanted to deliver twins vaginally. And I, again, was very adamant that I at least wanted to try it. Like I said, I'm, I'm very active in the gym the whole pregnancy. I knew I wanted to get right back in as soon as I could afterwards. And I knew for me, my recovery would be a little bit more smooth and quick if I didn't have a C-section. So I was scheduled to be induced, worked with my doctor to get myself there. And he was totally comfortable with trying it. Of course, I knew that there was a risk that I could deliver one vaginally. And then unfortunately, the other one may be breach. I might have to still have to have a C-section with the second. There's a lot of factors when you're doing twins. Like Alexandria, I'm sure you know that. You could deliver both vaginally. You could do one and then something goes wrong and they just got to get the other one out quickly. So you still go into a C-section. But for me, they ended up losing, they called him Baby B at the time, but his name was Carter after they came out. They lost his heart rate a few times throughout the process of me getting induced over about 17 hours. And I wasn't moving at all. When I say not moving, I didn't even move a centimeter in 17 hours. And they had given me three different drugs. 
They finally pushed the Pitocin, which is like the drug that should get you there. And I still wasn't moving. They could see contractions, but I didn't feel a thing. I had no clue what they were talking about. They lost his heart rate for a fifth time and they couldn't get it back. And so they were like, hey, we we really just need to go to be safe. And I, of course, broke down. I'm typically not a crier, but I, I was really like eager for that experience And so when I heard that it just wasn't going to happen, it definitely hit me hard. But at the end of the day, you do what's safest for you and for your kids. And in that moment, I knew that that was safest for them and also for me as well, because I was having a few issues. My blood pressure was going up and down. So, yeah, I ended up in an emergency C-section and that was it. How was the recovery afterward for you guys? The C-section recovery was difficult. Like Katie, I wanted to have Owen vaginally. During my induction, my first epidural failed. So I had to get a second epidural. So after like I had some back pain, you know, while I was in labor, I made it all the way to 10 centimeters, pushed for a long time. (laughs) And they finally were saying, he's not coming. We're going to have to do C-section. So at that point it was just scheduled, but it was very emotional because it's not what I wanted. And I think Yes, C-section is a very difficult physical recovery, but it's also an emotional recovery because that wasn't my plan. But like Katie said, ultimately, you're just got to do what's best for you and for your baby. And so while I was getting wheeled back for the C-section, Owen's heart rate dropped, which had happened during my induction process, too. So that's when it became emergent. His heart rate dropped. Mine like skyrocketed. I was in like the 200s. He was at like 50s or 60s. And they were like, we got to get this baby out now. And so that was tough. And also my water had been broken for about 17 hours. And so I spiked a fever. And so I ended up being on a lot of antibiotics. I and mean, all that fluid also made the recovery very hard because I was so swollen after for weeks. It took weeks for me to get all that fluid off. And so just knowing like how close we could have both been to not making it, but I'm glad that I had the doctors that I did. That's the emotional part. But then the physical part, like I am very much like Katie, like I'm pretty independent. Like I want to do everything. My mom was here. She's like, let me take the dogs out. I got it. Or let me do the dishwasher. I got it. And for me, it was like very tough to just sit down, (laughs) even though like physically it was hurting. But I was just like, this is my routine. This is what I do. So it forces you to take a step back. And I don't think I was mentally or physically prepared for that. It does sound tough. What about for you, Katie? Yeah, I think for me, the recovery, I mean, it was very painful. I also bled out afterwards and I did not know that because I was numb. After they had pushed the Pitocin during my induction, they also had given me an epidural because they assumed, we'll push this, you'll start feeling pain. So they went ahead and gave me an epidural. So I was already numb from the waist down. But once they took me into the C-section, they gave me even more numbing medications so that I wouldn't feel them slicing open my body. So I didn't know that I was bleeding out, but the young nurse, bless her heart, she starts freaking out. And I was holding one of my boys and my husband was holding the other one. He could tell that something was wrong because apparently I was like shaking profusely. I didn't know, but my body was literally like, looked like it was vibrating and they had raised the covers. And I guess the nurse realized she's bleeding out. Like we need to call her doctor to come back because they couldn't stop it. And so they took the baby at at this point. They're still not really telling us 
what's going on, but I could tell something was wrong because this one nurse, she was literally like freaking out. She was like, I'm trying everything. I can't get the blood to stop. I think she's bleeding out. And she's saying all this stuff in front of me. And so finally I said, you need to calm down and tell me what's going on and go get my doctor. And another nurse happens to walk up at this time. And she was like, you need to go. You're stressing her out. Let me call her doctor back. We'll get him back to the hospital. And like I said, the doctor that I worked with, he actually really wasn't on call. He just had come for me because he knew I wanted to deliver vaginally. But once we had to do the C-section, he went ahead and did it. And then he left. And so he shows back up in his cowboy boots and his jeans. And he was like, I got you, Katie. Like, we're, we're going to figure it out. This is what's going on. But that part made it really rough. The recovery from that was difficult. I was like 0.4 milliliters away from having to get them to give me blood. But luckily, I didn't have to do it. I did do a lot of moving around after my C-section. Once I got home, I walked the neighborhood slowly as I could, moved around the house, those types of things. And it was very challenging for me, mostly just hinging at the waist, but even more so, it was really difficult because I couldn't bend all the way over to get the babies out of the bassinet and like things like that, where as a mom, you want to do that yourself. You don't want to have to ask somebody to hand you your kids. So those types of things would make me really emotional mixed with lack of sleep and the nursing issues and stuff that was rough. But, you know, you find your ways to cope with it and deal with what's going on. Eventually, I was actually much better as far as like my mobility level within three weeks of the C-section, which was pretty good from what my doctor told me. So I was proud of myself for like pushing through and getting past it, but it was pretty difficult. So definitely recommend just having a doctor you trust and a great team because you never know what could happen. They're saying that millennials are more likely to have health complications. I don't know if it's because of testing. There's more testing or... But they are seeing that in the research. Would you guys recommend having a doula present at all? Did you guys have a doula present at all? I did not have a doula. um, And it was something I thought about, but there was still COVID restrictions. And so I could only have two people. So I had my mom and my husband. And so I wasn't willing to make one of them wait and have the doula come. But, you know, I've seen a lot of people who have had doulas and they've had a really positive experience with them. And so I feel like if those restrictions for a number of people weren't in place, it might have been something that I would have looked into more just because that is another person that can advocate for you and just kind of be there and talk you through it. I did want to back up a little bit because I've heard Alexandria's story and Katie's story because they're both to my closest friends. And I think I have a plan, right? I want to deliver vaginally, but knowing their stories and knowing that, hey, you can have a plan, but it can pivot. Listening to their stories and how they went through their process is keeping me flexible and nimble and just understanding that I may have a plan, but that plan may not go as I want it to go. So just having that in the back of my head. And I wouldn't have known that without having these friendships with current moms who've been through those situations. So that's been beneficial in itself, is talking about it with mamas, you know, who've had different birth stories. And again, like Katie said, just definitely having those communities because I didn't think about it. But yes, having twins does sound it's like a whole different niche of a community. Like even people who have kids, she said it's harder for them to give advice. So definitely just having those communities and people you trust. And I guess trusting your intuition, like you said, you have to make a decision on safety 
when we're seeing that once again, like for some black mothers that they don't get those choices sometimes. And I actually have a, um, a black OBGYN. Um, and that was important for me. Just having someone that I know who's listening to me and understands like where I'm coming from and my hesitations and my needs. Um, so that's giving me peace of mind as well. And super thankful that I have one out here in Noonan. So um, it's been a really pleasant experience so far. So we'll see how the delivery goes. And just to bring it back to Atlanta, like when I do visit out of town, they talk about how we do have a lot of like black doctors present. And that is helpful for a lot of people with health care. Going back to this. So this is an experience that you're carrying this child. Did either of you ever feel alone? And we can start with Katie this time because it is like your own experience. Like, yes, you have your community, but it's you and, you know, the baby or babies you're carrying. Did you ever feel like just alone and dark and anything like that? I don't think I ever felt alone in my pregnancy. I definitely felt I I have the type of husband, which I know Kismic well enough to know how Quay is. I don't necessarily know how your husband is, Alexandria, but my husband is a fixer. And so I didn't ever really feel alone during my struggles in the pregnancy because he was always trying to figure out what he could do to help me, whether that was helping find different food options, bringing me drinks, ice chips, snacks in the middle of the night, whatever he would do it. So I didn't really feel alone in that sense. I do think I felt alone in postpartum after I have my kids because there are things as a mom once your kids are born, that your husbands or the fathers don't necessarily understand how you feel about it. And for me, that had to do with the breastfeeding thing. You know, early on, after like two weeks of trying, he was like, you could just stop. It's fine. To him, it was like, it's not a big deal. You don't have to put yourself through the stress of trying this if it's not working for you. But I did lactation consulting. I bought three different breast pumps. I mean, I was adamant, like, I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep trying to do this. And so I felt a little bit alone in that sense of like feeling like I couldn't do what my body was built to do. Literally, my body is supposed to be able to feed my kids and it couldn't. And so I felt a little bit alone in that sense. But during my pregnancy, no, I don't think I ever really felt like I didn't have as much support as I needed. Physically, I was not alone. We were in the process of buying a house. And so we were actually staying with my mom. And so she works from home. So she was always there. Marcus would go to work. He'd come back. Same like Katie. He was like, what food do you need me to bring? Just seeing how sick I was. He was like, you got to eat something. So he's let's try this. Let's try that. So physically, there was always somebody there. There were some times where... I feel like pregnancy could be a little emotionally isolating because even though other people that are pregnant, everybody's experience is unique. I will say one thing that I was really glad for was my mom. When she was pregnant with me, she had hyperemesis too, and she ended up having an emergency C-section with me. And so on those moments when I did feel like, am I the only person going through this? She was there to talk to me. But then also, you know, I have my friends and even though... They weren't pregnant at the time. My friends are so supportive. They're always there. Having them was a really good benefit. But I just think sometimes you kind of get in this moment where you're like, only you know what's going on with the baby. Only you feel the things that you're going through. And as much as the people around you want to support you and are there for you, it's still your experience. And what about you, Kismic? So I have a very supportive husband. I will start there. He's super supportive. 
you know, like you're growing a entire human being and I can't be at the level that I was pre-pregnancy. And so that's even including sex. I'm gonna get real, like the sexual expectations of a pregnant woman. I mean, I don't, didn't, still don't, I don't, don't want to have sex. But obviously there's a need because you're married and your husband expects, you know, the sexual pleasure. So that was a main, a big struggle for us and understanding that, hey, I'm not the same kismic pre-pregnancy and understanding that it's very tiring to grow a human. So not alone physically, but just feeling like, hey, I don't think he gets it. So we'll see what happens when the baby gets here. I, I, I'm, I'm confident, <laughs> confident it'll be good. Hopefully it'll get, it'll, it should get better because he'll be, he'll be tired too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or exactly. at least he should be. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No matter what you tell them, no matter what they see, you they cannot understand because they're not having the same experience as you. Exactly. 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 And then he thinks I'm lying. Like, I am not <laughs> lying that I'm tired. I'm always tired. I promise you. I am always tired. Always. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> but I'm super blessed. Um, like the friends piece, like seriously, y'all, like the village that I have and all of you women are in my village. is just amazing. So having that support means all the world and then my family my mom is super supportive and my sister just had a baby in October so it's just nice to just have that connection with her as well so I never feel really alone or not supported but again it's my experience and sometimes I just get in my own head and you know how that goes adapting socially so we're all millennials I think we all have liked to go out and we know that you know, when you're pregnant, you can't really drink. But Kismic, I'm going to start with your story. How was adapting socially once you were pregnant around your millennial friends who are not pregnant? So typically, I am the drinker. I am the, hey, oh my God, let's take a shot. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I think that has still continued with me being pregnant. I feel like the party can still go on around me without any issues. I cannot wait to taste my first margarita, though. I'm so ready. <laughs> ready for my first margarita but having friends who have been pregnant they are more understanding of what it means to like be a pregnant woman so like um hey kids you want some snacks kids you want some virgin drinks i've had an experience misha you want me to call you out or no just call me out just call me out that's why we're doing this okay so uh misha is one of my very close friends as well and in the beginning of the pregnancy you have to eat lots of small meals just just stay afloat and stay you know so you won't pass out and so i said hey misha can you provide some like snacks for our girls day like you know chicken fruit granola juice water hydration chicken ate a snack First of all, let's just, let's just talk about that. I, I just wanted her to be a, a, a gracious host. I mean, a good chicken fingers, that could be a little snap, but you know, like like a, a platter of fried chicken, I don't know about yeah. that. <laughs> it was no, it, it was the Publix popcorn chicken. It was the Publix popcorn chicken. And you know, uh, Misha was like, Well, we're going to dinner later. Why do you why do you need this food? We're going to dinner, you know, five hours after we get together. Why do you need this this food? And I was like, it helps my blood sugar, keeps me pumped. It's really good for pregnant women to eat small meals frequently. Even she told me, y'all, well, she asked me, the doctor said that? No, okay. It wasn't my finest moment. It was very insensitive. I, You know, it was very insensitive. Um, I, was, I, I was in my feelings, hormones, pregnancy hormones. But I'm just like, dang, am I, am I being... A, a realistic 
to expect <laughs> my friends to have some food available for a girls' night. Um, but you should apologize. But just dealing with stuff like that, that typically we can just go for hours and hours without eating and just binge eat. But when you're pregnant, you have to think about, okay, what am I going to eat every two hours to stay alive? And that is the difference because I don't know what you're going through. Like you said, it's happening to those communities. But it wasn't just me. We had another friend involved, but I'm not going to call her out. I didn't want to call her name. I didn't want to call her name. I'm on the podcast with you, so it's fine. But overall, positive experience with my millennial friends. Everybody's super excited. All my friends are in their 30s. I think everybody's just super excited and, and supportive, so... So other than like not drinking, were you just not able to go out as much? Katie and Alexandra, you can chip in. But with that, like, did you just notice a difference with how you are socially other than like not drinking alcohol or things like that? For me, like I said, I had a other than being sick the whole time. I was pretty healthy. I never had like issues with my blood pressure or a lot of common things that you see in pregnancy, especially with multiples. I really didn't struggle with. So other than that. I still went to things. I still went to the functions. I just took my own stuff with me to have some snacks so that my friends wouldn't ask me, did the doctor say that? Um, (laughs) I had my purse with my items and I took, you know, I already carry like a gallon jug of water everywhere I go, but I always have my water so I could stay hydrated. If it was girls night, I took sparkling water or something like that. So, And I would pour it in a wine glass so I could feel like I was a part of the group. I still went out. I still did things. But also, I think one thing that kind of changed for me was I had to really listen to my body. And there were some times where I may have said yes to something, but I had to change my answer the day of or an hour before or something because I, if I just can't do it, if I physically feel like I can't make it, I can't make it. So sometimes that was hard because I'm also very much a person of my word. And if I had committed to doing something with someone, I wanted to do it. But there were some times where I had to say, hey, like, I'm sorry, I just can't do it today. I don't feel well today. The nausea is a lot worse today. I just can't make it. But yeah, for the most part, I still did stuff, went to activities, all that. And what about you, Alexandria? In the beginning, I didn't go anywhere. Like I've I just couldn't. Once I started to feel better, that was around, see, I was in the hospital like 12 weeks. It still took a couple more weeks. I guess maybe like 15, 16 weeks. I was finally keeping food down and able to go do things. So at that point, then like I was able to go back with friends more and do things. I had to make sure though, like I always had my Finnegan and my Zofran in my purse. I also had really bad heartburn. So I always had Tums, like always had those with me. The snacks, like pregnancy hunger is a different I just don't even know how to explain it like you're like physically ill if you don't eat so like there were a couple of things I did have to miss out on we were supposed to have a girl's trip to California I couldn't go one of my best friends she had her birthday in Colombia I couldn't go so that was kind of sad you know it was like I pride myself on being like a very dependable friend and you know if my friends are having something I want to be there to support them and celebrate them and so Same like Katie said, sometimes you just have to say, no, like I can't, I just can't do it. And thankfully, everybody was super understanding about it. It was more so like me giving myself a hard time. And then I didn't really have any issues about the drinking. Like, yeah, it was sad. You know, when I could eat, I mean, my husband would go somewhere and like he would get a drink and I couldn't. It wasn't a huge deal for me. But, you know, it is something that you just kind of have to think about. You're like, oh, wait, I can't order that. I can't do this. But, you know, virgin drinks are out there. Mocktails have come a long way. So that's so funny. And Mexican used to be my favorite food. I love the Mexican restaurant. But 
during pregnancy, what I realized is that I never really liked Mexican food. I like the margaritas. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't care for Mexican. I care for the margaritas. It's so funny. <laughs> It's interesting how your tastes change, too, when doing things. Because for me, I've always loved a cookout. When I was pregnant, I could not eat grilled meat. It made me so sick. Grilled chicken, hamburgers. If it was on a grill, even just the smell of somebody lighting up the grill would make me want to just lose it. But after I had my kids, it went totally away. But my whole pregnancy, I couldn't eat grilled chicken, grilled anything. It's so funny how it's like immediate to you. Like I have a really big sweet tooth. Everything was so sweet. I couldn't tolerate like I am big on like cakes and cookies and juice. And if there's a dessert, I'm going to have it. But I could not like I had to like water down everything that I was drinking. Everything was too sweet. I really love spicy food. I had to turn that down because of the heartburn. Like literally a bowl of cereal gave me heartburn. (laughs) So it was it was bad. But it's funny how those tastes change. And then the things that you do want. I wouldn't say that I'm like a huge meat eater, but that was one of the first things to tell me like to take a pregnancy test was I was craving a junior bacon cheeseburger from Wendy's. And I was like, I don't even eat that. Why do I want that? (laughs) I have never eaten so much meat in my life. That is me. Like, seriously, like, I like burgers and, like, fake burgers, processed meat, like Wendy's or Burger King or, like, Culver's or something like that. It's so weird. Not, And I typically don't eat that. But give me a burger any day now. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see the differences, even though, like, y'all were all pregnant and how y'all crave different things. So get into that. What else did y'all crave in your pregnancy other than, like, the meat stuff or did not crave? What else that you just really like to eat? It was watermelon for me. Okay. I probably went through four watermelons a week. Easy. If they were gone, I would tell Tony, hey, I need you to go buy some more watermelon. (laughs) It might be eight o'clock at night, but like he's going to the store to get more watermelon. I don't know what it was about it either because I do like watermelon. I've always loved watermelon, but Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with it. I ate so much watermelon. And then just any type of fruit, really. I really just wanted fruit. I didn't want to eat meat. Eggs was how I found out I was pregnant. I eat eggs every morning for breakfast. I still do even now. And I just started throwing up every day. And it was similar to Alexandra. I was four weeks pregnant. I didn't know that, but I was throwing up every morning. It had been three days. And it was my sister. She said, I think you're pregnant. Maybe you should take a test. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I gave it like an extra couple of days and then I just went and bought a test. I took three of them and they all said the same thing. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was watermelon and any type of fruit during pregnancy. That was all I wanted. My jam is pineapple like in um, tahini. I can go through like a pineapple a day. I don't, though. I try not to because all the acid pineapple. I have more aversions now than like cravings. Sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to eat anything, but I have to eat, obviously. But a hamburger, I'll eat it anytime. A hot dog. So weird. Fish sticks, corn dogs. It's like this fake food that my baby wants. Yeah, You got to get the baby what they want. Fruit was a big thing for me. Those Publix fruit bowls, I was running through those, like running through them. Pickles, (laughs) very typical, but... I we, I went to Kismic's house one weekend, like brought pickles with me <laughs> because I was like, I need my pickles. And like I said, the meat, like bacon, literally like 
almost every morning Marcus would make me bacon before he left for work because I was just like I just needed it it was just like I didn't have any crazy craving like weird combinations but it was just like those things like I said the fruit the bacon ate a lot of cereal also and not just like a bowl like a mixing bowl size bowl of cereal (laughs) (laughs) we were going through some like fruit loops fruit loops I was tearing them up (laughs) buying like the family box and it's just the two of us (laughs) so yeah those are once once I could eat those were the things with like our dads right they didn't have DoorDash they didn't have Uber Eats do you feel like millennial dads have it a little bit easier because now they can just order your food cravings instead of having to leave the house like do you feel like they have it a little bit easier did you see that I think maybe they have it easier in a sense of meals and things if I want Chipotle you can just order me Chipotle on Uber Eats you don't have to necessarily go out at eight nine o'clock at night whatever but everything else I don't know. It's probably very similar because you still have to go to the store to get a lot of things that people crave, especially at awkward times of the day. I feel like it's harder to get things delivered at midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. when you wake up and you just want something. Definitely an interesting question. Moving on to like breastfeeding. How was that? Was it easy? Did you feel like it was accessible? I know you touched on it a little bit, Katie, but we're definitely going to go deeper into it if you would like. When you got home, did you already have the stuff ready to go? So I did already have everything. I had picked out a specific palm prior to, and I actually had even sized it to the right nipple size and everything in advance. Practice like putting it on, which settings and stuff. And then at the hospital, they had a lactation consultant come in the room afterwards as well. And so they bought a pump there for me to go ahead and start trying. I do think... That is a little bit more difficult because I had twins. I didn't get to really do the like immediate holding them and putting them on my chest because I'm splayed out on this table because of the C-section. So they, you know, took them, checked them out because obviously one of them, his heart rate had been gone. So they didn't give them to me immediately. They wanted to make sure they were okay, which I understood looking back on it that I was fine with that. But I think some of that more immediate connection could have helped a little bit. But yeah, I really struggled with it. It didn't even make any colostrum or anything until like my second, third day in the hospital. And we got out on day four and I was trying every two hours. They were going mouth to breast like we were attempting to do it, but I just wasn't making any milk. It it just wouldn't come in. And then when it finally did, I would only get a couple milliliters at a time, which is I mean, that's not enough for one baby, let alone two. So I would have had to supplement with formula either way. And it was also very emotionally draining because literally your whole day focuses around timing yourself to pump and nurse. So two hours, nurse, pump, lay them down, they go to sleep. But in an hour and a half, I got to do it all over again. So I have these just constant timers of trying something that's not working. And it was really emotionally draining. I was just crying all day by like week four. And I had tried for nine weeks to see, like I said, I swapped breast pumps to see if that would help. And it was just, it wasn't working. I did finally get to a point where I told myself, hey, all these things that you hear out in the world, like breast is best and all that. Honestly, I feel like it's such a rude thing to tell a mother because you don't know people's situations And also, I think my kid being fed and healthy is what is best for them. Not the fact that they were nursed specifically from the breast, 
or even breast milk in general. You know, I was brought up on formula. My mom had a very similar situation with my brother and I. And I think I turned out pretty darn good. So I unfollowed a couple of the social media pages that I was following during my pregnancy because of that, because seeing that stuff on my feed and the little bit of time you may have to scroll on social media after you have kids, I didn't need to look at that. I didn't need anything else telling me that I wasn't good enough because I couldn't produce milk. So I unfollowed a lot of pages, a lot of different influencers who had been pregnant around the same time that I was that were pushing that agenda. I unfollowed because I, I just don't think it's healthy to push that narrative onto mothers. But I can recall times where it was 2.30 in the morning and I'm trying to nurse my kid, but it's not working and I can tell they're getting frustrated. So I'm getting frustrated and I'm crying at the same exact time. And your husband's trying to be like, well, what can I do? But they don't understand how you feel like your body isn't working. That's how I felt. Why isn't my body doing this one thing that it should be able to do? But like I said, after about nine weeks of trying, I told myself, hey, like, don't consider this you giving up. You gave it everything you had. You've literally been trying this thing for your whole entire maternity leave. Basically, two weeks later was when I went back to work. So I spent my whole time pumping every two hours and getting nothing. So, yeah, it was definitely a very emotionally draining experience for me. Looking back on it, I wish I would have come to my senses a little sooner and stopped sooner and just gotten more acclimated with the formula and all of that. We actually got a, a Baby Breeza. I think I'm saying that correctly, the brand. But we had the one where we just poured the powder in the top. It had water in it, similar. We called it our Baby Keurig. And that was how we made our bottles. It was super quick, very easy. And so we started doing that. And yeah, I, after I stopped, my mental health got so much better. I was more calm throughout the day. I wasn't as stressed. Because you already have so many other stress factors on your hands with newborn baby, let alone two of them. I already had enough to worry about. So I just I felt so much better after I stopped. But I was also, like I said, proud of myself that I gave it a shot. I do think we do want to try to have at least one more kid going forward. Going to wait because the chances of having another set of twins are way too high for me. But with my next, I would I definitely either would stop trying sooner with the nursing or I would just go straight to the formula. Looking back now. That's some really good advice. What about you, Alexandria? Yeah, I think society puts all this pressure on moms to breastfeed. And it's really not fair. As long as your baby is fed, that's what counts. I have been very grateful and very blessed that we are still nursing, but it's been hard. In the beginning, same as Katie, I didn't get that immediate skin to skin. I didn't see Owen for an hour or two after he was born. Like they took him away because of everything with my C-section. Like they had to call in an additional team to get him out. And so then like getting me sewn back up and all of that took a while. So by the time I got back out to see them, like I said, it had been at least an hour, probably closer to two. Um, so I didn't get that moment either. But in the hospital, I did have the lactation consultant. And so I had bought a pump before too. And I brought it with me and had them show me how to use it. And I used the hospital pump while I was there. I also had the issue of having inverted nipples, which I'd never even thought about. And so we had a really hard time latching. So I had to use a nipple shield. So in the beginning, I was like, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. And so they had me on the schedule of putting him to the breast with the nipple shield, letting him get whatever he could get, then formula, then pumping. And like Katie said, by the time you do all that, 
it's time to do it again <laughs> because they eat so often. And so having to use the nipple shield was really frustrating for me. Like we had a really difficult time with it. And so I was supplementing with formula in the beginning. I would pump during the day and then he would get formula at night while I was trying to build up my milk. And same, we had the baby Brezza. It is amazing. Like there's an app on your phone. You can just hit make the bottle <laughs> and you go in there. And the bottle is there, like it's still on our counter for if I stop nursing and go back to formula, like it's a lifesaver, game changer for sure. But I also told myself the expectation is like you're pumping every two, three hours. I said, I cannot be hooked up to a wall. I cannot. So I, from the beginning, I was only pumping like every six hours just for my mental health. And it ended up being enough. It ended up working out. But it is a thing that you're just like, like Katie said, you feel like your body's supposed to do this. And so you really want to do it. And now we're to a point where I've got milk in the freezer. I've actually been telling Marcus like this past week, I've been noticing a drop in my supply. So our, if our time is up, then our time is up. And I'm grateful for the six months that we have had because I never even expected to do it. Like I was formula fed also. And so just the fact that I even could nurse him, I was very proud of myself for that. And like people have asked me, what's your goal? What's your, I'm like, it dries up, <laughs> you know, and I've got Similac downstairs ready. So you just think that it's going to be this like intuitive, easy thing. And it's not, it's so hard. But I think that's because that's the way society has set it up that it should just come easy and it does not come easy for everyone. And I also don't think that, again, as a society, we have set mothers up to be successful in breastfeeding. Some office buildings still don't even have mother's rooms, airports, all these types of public spaces that you commonly would have to visit if you're an on the go type of mother. Right. If you're not a stay at home mom who just has access to everything she needs in your house, I used to travel for work. I don't travel as frequently anymore, but I used to travel a week, sometimes two out of every month. I would have needed somewhere to hold the milk, to be able to pump it while I'm traveling on planes, in hotels, all these different spaces that I had to go. And I also realized I wouldn't have been able to do that. So looking back, like I said, it almost ended up being a blessing that I couldn't because I would have been even more stressed out being on the road and not being able to manage pumping and saving the milk and refrigerating it and freezing it and all of that during travel. But yeah, I don't think that society has set mothers up well to do it, but they push it so hard. It's like a paradox, like do this, but we're not supporting you to do this. Anytime I go anywhere now, if I'm going to be gone from my house for more than three, four hours, I'm bringing my pump. I'm bringing a lunchbox full of ice. I know that I'm going to have to pump wherever we go. That's an additional challenge, making sure I remember all the parts, making sure I have bottles, making sure I have enough ice, the right temperature, all of that. Like just recently uh, was out of town for a wedding and the thought of that gave me so much anxiety, having to pump on the plane and like bring a cooler and all of that. And I just feel like these are things that nobody tells you to expect, like how hard that is to have to take a cooler with you everywhere and take a pump with you everywhere and make sure you have the charger and make sure you have ice packs. And it's a lot. It is not this easy thing that society makes it out to be. And same, I, there were so many pages that I had followed on social media and I was just like, I can't, like, these are not helping me. I just, I have to unfollow these because it's just, it's not working. Like this glamorized breastfeeding journey people have on Instagram and TikTok is not it. It's not how it goes. 
I like how you guys like are taking the authority for that saying, I have to unfollow. This is what's good for my baby. This is what I have to do. And making those decisions for you guys were your mom's Gen X or baby boomers. So Gen X is 1965 to 1980. Baby boomers, 1946 to 1964. We can start with you, Kismik. What's your mom's Gen X? Yeah, Gen X. What about you, Alexandria? Uh, My mom would be a baby boomer. I don't remember the years you said. (laughs) Baby boomers were 1946 to 64 and Gen X was 65 to 80. Yeah, so my mom would be a baby boomer. Were there ever any, like, arguments you guys had because of the differences in being pregnant and things like that? I mean, we're millennials, so I just, we go at it a lot with other generations. So I was just wondering if you guys had any topics about that. I haven't even had a baby yet. I haven't even had my baby yet. (laughs) And my mom is just like, she knows everything. For me, I I don't want to co-sleep. That's just, that's what I I don't want to do it. I'm going to have a bassinet in the bedroom and then we're going to have a crib when the baby gets bigger. My mom was like, that baby going to be with you. Girl, you think you know so much. I'm like, mom, if you could just support my wishes, I'm not co-sleeping. What? I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We had a many of disagreements and it's so funny because I feel like my mom and I, we call it falling out in my family. And We never really fell out like that before I got pregnant. It was like once I got pregnant, this switch flipped and she just started giving so much unsolicited advice. We also waited to find out the genders of our babies until they were born. So we didn't know. She didn't like that. She tried to take the envelope with the genders in it from our house and read it. My mama figured out my gender. I didn't even realize it. <laughs> my mom, um, I, I think, so funny story, which this would probably be funny for the podcast. If my mom hears it, she probably won't think it's funny. But so my mom actually threw a shower for herself. And we had a large disagreement about that. I'm talking, we didn't speak for a few days because I was very much like a grana. She wants to be called grana. That's what she calls herself, which like, that's not a thing, right? So (laughs) she was calling it this grana shower where she's going to invite her friends to celebrate her becoming a grandmother. She was like, well, you can come. (laughs) Like it's a privilege. I can come. Are you kidding me? So we fell out over that because I just felt like it was a little insensitive Because at the time she was talking about this shower and there had not even been any talks about an actual baby shower, like honoring me as the person who's having these babies. Right. So that was probably the start of it. She also didn't like that we didn't take any of her little name recommendations for the children. Our styles are also very different. So there were many like, you know, little shoes and clothes and things she would buy. I'm just letting you know, you're probably not going to see them in it. <laughs> hey, this could be a whole podcast episode right here. You see, I don't know what else to tell you, but if I said that's not really my taste and you know that's not my taste, then why did you go spend your well-earned money on it? Right. So we had a few disagreements about things like that because I think our mothers expect us to do things the way that they did it. And they want to have the same experience as a grandparent that their mothers had. And... It's just a different day and time. People do things differently. I think as millennials, our perspective on things is different. The way we want to raise our kids, whether it be doing a little bit of gentle parenting, 
that's a whole thing now that a lot of people are trying with their kids, which again, what I do with my kids, that's what I choose to do. I don't knock how anyone else chooses to do anything with theirs. I think a lot of times our parents just don't understand the choices we make because it's not the ones that they made. But I'm also, which Kismet can probably tell you this, I don't really feel a need to explain myself. If I said it and I meant it when I said it, and I don't really feel like I need to explain to you why I made the choice I made. And so we've had a lot of disagreements because she's like, well, why? I don't really want to tell you why. That's just <laughs> what I decided. And then you're disrespectful when you say that. When you do that, you're disrespectful because we're not grown. We're just carrying babies for them. <laughs> we're not grown. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's such a great question. I'm interested to see what Alexandria has to say. So I had a, I've had a very good experience with my mom. She has... Whatever has been our wishes, that has been our wishes. She knew we had a name picked out. We didn't tell the name till our baby shower. She didn't push it. I don't know. She just has kind of been like, whatever you want. But I think that also goes a lot into how I was raised because it's very funny. Like my husband, Marcus, will always say that we were raised like hippies. We were very like a very chill family. We didn't have a lot of rules. I don't I guess we just also didn't have to. And so I feel like a lot of the ingrained things that other moms may think like they know best. I just didn't have that. She was just like, do whatever you want. And I guess maybe because she had the freedom to do what she wanted. So she didn't like push that on me. If anything, there was a little bit of tension like between her and my husband with him feeling like he had these things he wanted to do. But as soon as I told her, then she would just be like, "Okay, if that's what you want, then that's fine. So I'm very glad that we didn't knock heads. We didn't fall out, thankfully, (laughs) because I know that's not always everyone's experience. I tell her this is the schedule. She's sticking to the schedule. Only give him these bottles at this time. Then that's what she does. But I, you know, I see other people. They're like, oh, give that baby some water or do this or do that. You know, give that baby some cereal. Cereal. Yeah. Put cereal in the bottle. No, I didn't tell you to do that. (laughs) (laughs) We started solids. This week, actually. And she has I'm like, he's only getting milk. That's it. End of story. Like there has not been a single question about it. My mother-in-law has been like, are you sure? I'm like, no, we're not doing that. I will say she's like questioned me a little bit more. But ultimately, also, whatever we have said is what she's done. So I'm very grateful for that. (laughs) Entering the workforce again. Well, how was it during your pregnancy? I know that you both had the babies during the COVID period, right? But still, like, how was that during the pregnancy, like maternity leave and then having the babies? How has that been for both of you guys? I decided I wanted a telehealth job. I knew working in psychiatry, it was out there. I knew that I could find it. It took a while. There were lots of tears involved, lots of being stressed about how am I going to provide for my baby, my family, you know, feeling bad for dropping us to one income, and making Marcus have to work so much harder. The mom guilt came on very early. So ultimately, I was able to find two positions, actually, that are telehealth. And so I really enjoy them both. I get to be home. My sister helps me with the baby a lot during the day. But in between patients, I'm going downstairs to see him and I'm still able to pump and change diapers and do all these things while I'm at home and while I'm still working. And so I'm still part time. So it was a pay cut, but God had a plan and he was able to make it work because there were several times and I just didn't know how we were going to do this. Yeah. So it was tough, but it's been good. It's been good since I found those positions. So you did have to adjust a little bit. And what about you, Katie? 
So I was actually still in my previous role during my pregnancy and for the first six months after my kids were born. My previous role, I was on the training development side of my company on the domestic side. And then pregnancy was fine. I had the typical standard six weeks for maternity leave, but I also used my short-term disability Just something that I think a lot of companies don't talk about enough, because if you don't know that you have to use your short term disability and tack that on during maternity leave, some people don't. Like I have a coworker who actually didn't know because she didn't ask anybody before she did hers. And so she ended up only being out for six weeks. But I think I was out actually for a total of 15 weeks. I took extra because I had, you know, heard from some friends who not friends, but people on the social media outlets I was following, a lot of the moms recommended taking three to four extra weeks if you have twins because you need that additional time to recover. Looking back, it was the right decision for me. I think if I had have had less, I would have felt really rushed through that maternity leave time because like I said, I was doing the whole pumping and nursing trying thing for about nine weeks. So I would have gone right back to work basically two weeks later, but I had a few extra weeks to really just spend time with them and not worry about the nursing piece. When I first went back to work, we actually had a nanny who worked at the house. Kismic's mom actually did that for us for about, yeah, for about three months. We didn't want to send them to daycare too early because again, it, it was still COVID times. We were really concerned about that. And also most of the daycare facilities that we had gotten on wait lists for, they still didn't have spots which is another thing people don't talk about enough while you're pregnant. You need to be looking for childcare immediately. I'm talking once you find out you're pregnant, you need to go do some tours and you need to figure out where you like and see what their wait list is looking like. Because some of these places have year long wow. wait list for you to get a kid in, which yeah. is insane. It's, different. it's very different. And they cost a lot, too. But yeah, so we did that for three months. It was about three, four months. And then they started in an actual daycare facility from there, which was also something that mothers were like, are you sure you want to put them in there so soon? They're so small and germs. But I feel like you got to build up their immune systems at some point. That's just my opinion. And also, again, both of us work full time. We have to go to our office or have to go visit clients, things like that. So it, it wasn't realistic for us to not put them in daycare. It just wouldn't have worked for our family. But that's our story. So they did daycare. And then I actually got a job offer about five months after I started back, my job to move over into the director level role that I'm in now on our international team. So same company, but I work on the international side of the business now. And it's so funny because my boss at the time, she did, she wasn't necessarily discouraging me. She was really excited about the opportunity. She thought it would be a great opportunity for me. But she was like, you know, you do have two really small kids. Are you sure you want to take that job? Which I thought was interesting because don't try to sway me away from it. If I didn't have kids, you wouldn't have said that. You would have said, hey, go and take that job. Or if I was a man, you wouldn't say that. Exactly. Because everyone knows that, you know, men are going to take whatever promotion. They're not worried about the fact they have kids at home. So I was I was said, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take the job like I'm still invested in my career and my growth and my development as a young professional. And so I took the job and it has been a bit of a learning curve because I work, like I said, I work on the international side. So 
I have calls at 6 or 7 a.m. Sometimes I have calls at 8 p.m. and 9 p.m., but we also work during our regular Atlanta-based day hours as well. But we're a very flexible team because we work internationally. So if you don't work a couple hours during the day, no one's really checking for you because they know, well, she was on calls this morning at 6, so that's why she's not working right now. Like, she already did a full day. And sometimes that can be give me a little bit of mom guilt because... I have to go into my office so early. Some days I miss getting them up in the morning and getting them ready for school. But I usually make it a point to always be present for their bedtime routine and dinner, things like that. So I just I'm, I've been very specific with myself, especially since taking my new job about setting boundaries for myself and also with family, because I understand they want to see them. And I love it. I love that they want to be around. But I want to spend some time with my kids, too, by myself And sometimes that's hard because the nature of, you know, working, also owning a small business, like, for example, right now, my husband's training for his first bodybuilding competition. So a lot of my weekend is spent mostly with my kids by myself because he's at the gym. And even during the week, you know, I have them by myself a lot of nights, which is tiring doing it by myself. But it's a season, right? And so I set those boundaries and people know don't call or try to FaceTime after certain times because it's their bedtime routine and she's not going to answer. And I think sometimes you just have to be okay with telling people no and be okay with yourself setting those boundaries for yourself and also with your work, especially. I've been very blessed to have a boss now and even previously that understand and are okay with what what real work-life balance is. And so if I block my calendar for a certain time because I'm going to go do something at my kid's daycare, they don't care. They're like, hey, we love it. Go spend time with your kids. Don't miss those moments. Be present with them now because you won't get it back. And I think when you work for people who, you know, appreciate that and respect that, it makes it so much easier for you because you don't feel like you necessarily have to be on your computer all day or have to be logged on. And you don't feel nervous about saying there's a spring fling at my kid's school, but it starts at three. Do you mind? And I think some people aren't in a position where they can do those types of things. They just have to miss out on that kind of stuff. So I definitely appreciate that for sure. And I think a piece of advice I would give to other, not even just moms, honestly, parents is just to set those boundaries around work. If you have a work phone and a personal phone, turn your work phone off at night. If that means having that time with your kids or having that time with your spouse, like you need to do that so that you can take care of home as well. And I think a lot of times we struggle with that because we are so focused on career growth and, you know, everybody's chasing the bag, right? But sometimes you need to chase what you have in your house so you don't lose it. Yep. Setting those boundaries definitely sounds important. So was it difficult being away from your kids? Like how was like, cause when my mom said when she had to put me in daycare, like she cried, she said that she actually took the day off to put me in daycare just so she could check on me every couple of hours. Was it hard to adjust in that way? I thought I was going to be really sad, but surprisingly I wasn't. So with Miss Buffy, I knew her, right? I knew her. We had several interactions. I felt comfortable. And I also had her come over to the house I think it was like the last week that I was on maternity leave. She came that whole week while I was home. So like she watched my routine. She even took like detailed notes. Like she knew Katie does this at this time. Like I had written out a schedule. She knew the whole routine by like day two of watching me. So she started being like, okay, well you go do something else and let me do this. And just taking over slowly. And that helped because I knew I could trust her to do it the way I would have done it. 
But go, that first day I went back to work, I, w- I did cry a little bit because I hadn't really been away from them for that many hours at a time. Like at that point, I think Tony and I had also only taken like maybe one date away from them for a night at that point. Our first date. Was that tough? Yeah, it was because you're with them all day long for these extended weeks. So it's like, I don't want to leave them. What if something happens while I'm not here? Or what if my mama doesn't do it right? Or what if she forgets the bottle that's at X hour? And my mama's not super tech savvy. So I had to show her how to use the baby prison. I was like, what if she forgets? Or what if she can't figure it out? So I was just really like anxious. But we also did a lot of things to like prepare for it. So I just made all the bottles in advance and had them ready to go. So all she had to do was like warm it up to room temperature. I just made it really easy for her. And I also told her like, I'm going to check in. So you need to answer. So I sent my couple of check-in texts that I said I was going to send. That made me feel more comfortable. But yeah, I, once we dropped them at daycare, that was a little bit more challenging because we actually have a couple of cameras in our house. We don't use them as much right now. We turned a, two of them off. We only have one near their play area now. So that if I have to go run and do something, I can still keep an eye on them. But before we had cameras everywhere. So because you got to go eat yourself and use the bathroom like but you want to know you can still see them and make sure they're okay so I could see what was happening on the cameras in my house but the daycare we started at they didn't have cameras wasn't allowed so you couldn't log in and watch your kids during the day and they weren't as great about sending pictures and things throughout the day so it would make me nervous what's happening they've been there all day but I don't know if they're okay but eventually I actually said something to them about it because I'm like a part of our fee is you sending these pictures and I don't ever get any So like, why don't y'all send pictures? And they started doing better about it. And that helped too. And the daycare we're at now, they send so many pictures throughout the day. Now I'm like picture overload, but at least I know what they're doing. You literally can listen to them do music class and Spanish class and play outside. You can watch, they send videos. So it makes you feel very comfortable. It was difficult. I couldn't really focus at work the first week because I was just thinking about them the whole time and like my typical routine. So I had to get back into that balance of being focused while I was at work and then turning it off when I left and just being with them. But yeah, it was hard. But now I'm like, y'all get on up. We got to go to daycare. Like it's time to go to school. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. So you definitely recommend like having an adjustment period when you're changing. Are there any things that, so you guys have touched on some things regarding some myths and definitely have given a lot of advice. Is there any takeaways you would want to say to new mothers, expecting mothers, pregnant mothers, things that you figured out like that didn't work for you, that no one talked about that did, just any takeaway advice you would give regarding your situations and what you've been through. Super blessed again to have a village that has so many moms and the moms that are in my village share their stories. So I I mentioned it earlier about the C-sections. I have a plan to deliver vaginally, but I know that a C-section is likely it could happen. So being able to be flexible, same with breastfeeding, my plan is to breastfeed, but if it doesn't happen, it's okay. I have stories, I have ex- people who've experienced that it doesn't work and it's okay. A fed baby is best. My biggest takeaway is leaning on people in your community that have been through things and just being flexible. Like, of course, we want to have a plan, but being able to pivot if that plan doesn't happen as we expect, because that's life, right? And enjoy the journey, because I looked up and I'm 32 weeks pregnant and I'm like, I feel like maybe... <laughs> 
I should have done more. I don't know. It, it goes out very fast. So enjoy the journey and cherish it and take pictures. I haven't taken a lot of pictures because I haven't felt like I looked the most pregnant. So I haven't taken many pictures. So I'm going to definitely capitalize on these last few weeks that I have been pregnant. I would say, number one, give yourself grace. You can have expectations for yourself. But, you know, like Kismic was saying, some of those things are just not going to happen. And it's okay. And you're still doing the best that you can for yourself and for your babies. And, you know, things are going to be OK, even if they don't go according to plan. So just give yourself grace in that, that this is all new for you. You're learning how to be a mom. Everything changes. You have to kind of reassess your duties and things as a wife, your duties and things as a mother, all the things that you have to do as a professional. Everything changes. And so be patient with yourself as you're learning through this time period. The pictures thing is very real. I took a lot of pictures during my pregnancy. I still take so many all the time, but I'm very glad I did because when Owen was first born, I had really bad postpartum anxiety. Like it was severe. I was able to recognize that in myself and get help and get meds and everything. But if I didn't have the pictures and the videos, I probably wouldn't remember things because I was so anxious about making sure everything was okay. And so my mom and my friends would always tell me like, cherish these moments. Everything is okay. You're okay. He's okay. And so having those people around me was really important. So you know, the village is very important. The pictures and the videos for sure, because I can look back at those things now. And even if I don't immediately remember what happened, I'm like, oh, look at this picture. This is what happened. And so that's really good. And the third thing if the social media pages are not working for you, unfollow them. Unfollow because it's going to give you so much more of a headache than it's worth. Definitely good advice. And what about for you, Katie? I think the top one for me as a piece of advice would just be set your boundaries, share them with your circle and ask that they respect those and be prepared that if they're not going to respect it, it's OK for you to tell them, I'm sorry, you can't come by or I'm sorry, but because I know that you're not going to adhere to the things that I want to do. You're not on the list to babysit or it's okay to do those things. You know, I think especially with family, sometimes it's hard to say no. And we know that they have good intentions, right? But at the end of the day, if they're not going to respect what you want to do with a baby, they're probably not going to respect what you want to do with a toddler or, you know, a 10 year old or a teenager and the ways that you want to do things. And so it's okay to have those boundaries and adhere to them. And, and I think it depends on your personality type. I'm very much type A. I'm very much planned. I'm very much an agenda book routine kind of girl. And my routine was totally off, right? Because I had two babies. And so nothing that I had planned went exactly the way I planned it. And I had to realize I needed to give myself some grace, like Alexandria had said, and that it's okay for things not to go perfectly as you plan them. Because every day is going to be different with a newborn baby, right? Even now, every day with toddlers is different. They're changing, they're growing, they're learning, they're trying to experience the world and explore and you have to be prepared to explore it with them. And I think the other thing I would say too, which is something else I don't think we talk about enough around motherhood is set aside time for yourself. It is okay to have your mom's day away. It is okay to tell your husband, hey, I need some time to myself. So you stay here today and I'm going to Target 
or I'm going to Chick-fil-A, the park. If you want to go sit in your car and read a book for two hours, sit in your car and read the book, but make time for yourself because at least for me, I know if I didn't have the personal time that I have, for me, it's at four o'clock in the morning, unfortunately, because that's just the way our calendars work. But if I didn't have my two hour, two and a half hour span in the gym, I would not be my best self for my kids. Because that's the only personal time that I really get in a day is when I have that time to myself. So find something you love to do that helps you to hone down your anxiety levels and your stress levels and just clear your head and disconnect for a little bit and and take advantage of that time. I think if I had have realized that sooner in my journey, I probably would have had a few less anxious and stressful moments. But like I said, you you have to learn what works for you, what works for your kids, what works for your family. And sometimes, again, it's okay to tell people, hey, appreciate you thinking about me, but that don't work for us. Because sometimes people just think because it worked for them, it'll work for you. And it's just not the case. And you guys are all boy moms, right? Mm-hmm. Like kids make you're having a boy. Yeah. Okay, so that's exciting. Yeah. And yeah. So we are millennials. We're growing up with, well, we're grown, but we have technology. So what apps, just as a final note, did you guys use to help you along your pregnancy journeys or breastfeeding journeys or just being a new mom? Anything that you would recommend? Um, I have the Pregnancy Plus app and they have a ton. This was like the when you find out you're pregnant. So it just helps you track your pregnancy from really conception. I think they even have before conception apps all the way through. It's always cool to see fun facts about what size your baby is and things like that. And I'm also in a couple of Facebook groups. So I'm doing July. So I'm in the July 2023 moms group in Facebook, which has good information. I mean, the topics range from everything in the world um it's it's really helpful but just like word of caution there is fear-mongering that goes on in those groups so Mm. you have to just be careful of like how much you read into it and like don't go down a rabbit hole because some of those folks just sit there all day and just panic all the time and that really can get on you if you allow it to so but i like the group overall okay and for you alexandria Um, So I used the What to Expect app in the book. I also used the Glow app, which is like a shoot off of, I think it was Eve that I used to use to track my period. And so then the Glow is like the motherhood version of it. And it, you know, it tells you like the size and there's groups and stuff you can join. And then I did a couple of Facebook groups too. So in November 22, mom's group, a couple of breastfeeding lactation groups that one of my other friends had shared with me. Those have been really helpful because they show you that it's not just your baby. It's not just you, especially being in that group with the November, because all of our babies are roughly the same age. And so it's like, is your baby not sleeping? Okay, mine's not either. So it gives you a little bit of peace of mind. But also, like Kismik said, there can be some fear mongering. And I feel like I'm a high, strung, anxious person. But some of these moms, I'm like, you got to (laughs) chill. You got to calm down. Also, taking breaks. If you don't need to look at the Facebook group, don't look at it. If you need to mute it, mute it. They're helpful, but, you know, also know when they're not helpful. I also used um, the What to Expect app. So I used that just to track the size of the baby and they would give different little articles about what's happening at that point, that trimester, that month, the differences in development of your baby. And I also got onto the blog for similar to the Facebook group, just other babies that were being born December 2021. But I did stop them 
pretty immediately because I realized it just wasn't for me. I didn't want to read anything or hear anything that was going to make me anxious and nervous and worried. And a lot of people were posting a lot of different things that just make you nervous about your experience once you get into the delivery room or even your experience once after the baby's born. And I just wanted to take it as it came and have the experience and not go into it with any negative expectations about what might happen. So I got out of the groups pretty quickly. I am still in like a Cobb County. That's the suburb of Atlanta that I live in, a Cobb County moms group. It's pretty unique. There are a lot of people post different things you can do with kids their age. So, you know, toddler activities in the area and things like that. So you can get out of the house, different free events that are happening around the city for the summer and things like that. So those are great to see just so you have that in your back pocket. But I did really like the what to expect app as far as tracking the pregnancy. Well, other than that, I really just want to thank you guys for coming on here and giving all this advice and all these things that you may or may not have heard. Definitely want to wish you guys a happy Mother's Day to all of you. And thank you for being on our show, Katie, Alexandria, and Kismic. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for, for having, having us. us. It was great. Thank you for having us.